0: Thanks everyone for coming out today and checking out another episode of the Generic Podcast. We have a pretty fun episode today. We're talking with teacher and filmmaker Jean-Paul DeSiccio. If you'd like to check out any of his work thus far, you can head on over to YouTube going on to Alter, which I love talking about. You can head over there and check out his film, Dear Glenna or you can go ahead and check out his website where he has a whole bunch of other different films that he's worked on uh, uh, over on Overdue Films. Poor Glenna is also linked on to there as well. And before you forget, I just want to remind you that if you're listening anywhere where you can write the podcast or leave any comments or anything like that, go ahead, do that, share it with your friends and everything. Uh, I do try and check the comment boards all the time on the different uh, places where my podcast is. Uh, Or you can find me on Instagram uh, under Generic or The Generic Podcast, either or and if you want to reach out to me that way feel free ladies and gentlemen welcome to the generic podcast we talk about everything horror science fiction and sometimes fantasy Checking in to the Generic Podcast again. Today on the show, we have somebody with a very impressive CV. Uh, you can check him out all over the place. He's on uh, Alter, and he's got his own website. Well, I'll leave all the links down to everything in the description. So if anybody wants to check that stuff out after listening to the show, you can go ahead. And today on the show, we have Jean-Paul De Sisko. How are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing all right. How are you?
0: I am doing pretty good. Um, I've literally just been sitting in front of my computer typing away as the day's the first day of Nano NaNoWriMo. I'm not, I don't know if you, if you know what that is or not, but it's, uh, it's basically, um, you can go online and there's this whole platform around writing where you, the the goal is 50,000 words for the month. And so every single day, you get on this platform and you can either do it on the platform or, you know, like I use um, Scrivener and word and uh, word and WordPress. So those are like the main things that I stay on. Um, But basically you write about, I think it's like it averages out to 1600 words per day. Um, And so every single day of November, you go ahead and you sit down and you write on that kind of stuff. So
1: So it's really, it's really kind of, um, it's giving you a, a deadline really to work boards
0: right yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's great so um but I wanted to get you on here I, I you know one of the things that I I plug on here fairly often um is Dust the YouTube channel Dust with the all the sci-fi and then Alter is the um sister channel with all of the horror and for anybody who's not familiar with either of those th- there's just so much just available content out there from all sorts of different kinds of filmmakers and that is how I found you uh, with the film that you have on there but before we get into any of that uh I just wanted to kind of get an intro from you and have you just let everybody know a little bit more about you
1: yeah sure um so uh, my name is John Paul Decisio I'm a filmmaker and a teacher I, I teach um I teach film production at a college here in new england um yeah most of my work is our short films in horror and science fiction though I've, I've kind of um i think i've touched upon almost every genre <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm, I'm just a, i'm a film fan I, but I, I first fell in love with horror films so mm-hmm. you know as i get older it's the only thing i'm really <laughs> interested in anymore I'm sort of reverting back to my, um, you know, my my 12 year old self who was obsessed with horror and uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, sorry I just kind of butchered that, but uh.
0: oh no, that's fine. I mean, I mean, I th- I think a, a lot for a lot of people, especially like creatives, there is that that lineage per se in everybody's life where it's like there's something there's some sort of like pivotal moment where it's like, you're watching a film or you're reading a book or playing a game or something. And you're like, I, this is the genre that I want to be in. Um, but is there, is there, is there a specific um, film that kind of kicked things off for you or a specific book or.
1: Yeah. I think that the way I've come to understand it was my parents, they're sort of like these hippie folks and they were really into just showing me all the films that they liked when I was a kid so they showed us jaws when i was probably five or six right
2: mm-hmm. um
1: and, and still too young to really comprehend that a movie is is fake so yeah. I, 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 it frightened me you know i couldn't i couldn't even swim in a swimming pool i never mm-hmm. learned to swim because of it at some point they handed me a copy of a book called the jaws log which is, which is basically just a um like a journalistic account of the making of jaws it can't you know it, i think it was published pretty much simultaneous with the film. Oh, sure. uh, and it just shows you pictures behind the scenes. It shows you blueprints of the shark, things like that. So it, it was pretty clear early on uh, that I, I was interested in, in filmmaking. So from there, it just kind of kicked off an interest in, in horror, which I've, which always really frightened me. But at the same time, I found it hugely appealing. I liked being scared. So yeah, I think I, I think, and I feel like a lot of filmmakers have that story too. Jaws being this like landmark movie that scared them so much, and I think that was just the power of cinema. And I, I initially wanted to, co- I initially wanted to be a special effects artist. So um, I used to. The, my public library had a copy of uh, Tom Savini's Grand Illusions, so his like uh, his makeup effects book, and I would check <laughs> that thing out all the time and try to recreate some of his some of his gags. So I even with a friend of mine, one of the, um, I think one of the gags called for mortician's wax, which I was like, where do you get mortician's? This, this is the late 80s. Where do you, there's yeah. no Amazon. So where do you get this? So we went, we, these little little kids, we walked to a funeral home, knocked on the door, uh, <laughs> talked to the mortician and just asked him if we could buy any mortician's wax. And he just, he, he, he shunned us away. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was really interested in special effects early, yeah. early on as a kid and gradually just my interest in filmmaking evolved to writing and directing. I think like, a, and again, there's another landmark movie, Pulp Fiction came out in 1994. I was, yes. I was 14 and I had never seen anything like it. And it, it was almost like overnight, changed my attitude about what film was. Um, so then I just became obsessed and, you know, like a lot of other young filmmakers, aspiring filmmakers looked towards the references in, in Quentin Tarantino's work to find all of these source all the, all the source material that made up this collage of a film. So I think that really solidified. Okay. I, I love films and I think directing is 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 what I'm most interested in.
0: So with your your films that you have out right so if you go on the on your website you have all is it all the films or majority of the films that you have yeah,
1: um there's a lot it's it just links to my vimeo page so it's most mm-hmm. it's mostly all of my films there might be some that I'm too ashamed to put up with <laughs> it. uh, so, it's, it's, a, it's, it's it's a majority it, with the exception of poor Glenna yes
2: there's yeah.
1: a there's a there's a, um, there's a menu for it mm-hmm. but there's no link to the film I'm, I'm gonna change that
0: yeah I think you have so you have a link to um, Bloody Henry and poor Glenna and poor Glenna is the one that that's how I found you. That that yeah. film was. Yeah,
1: that's that's yeah. my latest. But yeah, the one before that was one called Bloody Henry, and that's on my website. Another no. horror film.
0: Yeah, I mean, even like even with like Scatterbrain, that one I've is. Watched is,
1: all of these, huh?
0: Yeah, I've, I've watched pretty much every <laughs> wow. everything that you've done. So wow, all I mean, right. but you have all these different kinds of. It feels like different tidbits from like things that like I can tell that you're very much inspired by different things. I mean, you have with Bloody Henry, you have like some like body horror kind of stuff going on and everything. And you got the you get the the priest and there, there's just so much going on. And it's, it's interesting to look at what filmmakers are doing to look through their uh, film history. And pretty much like you were saying, you know, it's just like, OK, well, you were, you you watched a film and then you're just like, well, what is Quentin, Quentin Tarantino interested in? What made him kind of make this film and what inspirations is he drawing off of? And you get this very interesting kind of like branch of like, okay, well, he was really influenced by this film. And then this director was really influenced by this film. And that's, I feel like that's how you get that really interesting history with a lot of filmmaking. And at some point, you know, it always goes back to, to black and white films and that's one of the things that I noticed that you do in some of your, your films is that you decide to go the black and white route. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is there a reason behind that? Or is, is it more like the, the creative style that you wanted to go for or.
1: Yeah. It's, I think it's a combination. You know, I, I, I failed to, uh, I, I omitted something I think hugely important in terms of my, Uh, filmic makeup, and that's the Universal Monsters. So, Mm -hmm. you know, having discovered Jaws at a young age, I think by the time I was like 10, I was completely obsessed with Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Invisible Man, um, The Wolfman, uh, The Mummy, just everything. I I bought like a, I bought a collection of VHS.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So yeah, so in my mind, horror is black and white or classic horror is black and white. But I have to say some of the time that, that choice is practical. So with Bloody Henry, the makeup was just too wild to look natural mm-hmm. uh, in color and, and some of the sets. We, we, we were, they're all found locations and we had a production designer. So we were, we were we wanted to we wanted to hone a look and black and white just made more sense. Plus, we filmed in the summer, which mm-hmm. was too vibrant, and we filmed in New Hampshire and we filmed in Connecticut and we filmed. Um, we kind of filmed all over New England in, in these like, really lush settings. The so black and white just, it made more sense for the tone of that, mm-hmm. of that particular film to go black and white. Uh, and it also c- it can cover a lot of things. You know, It's these are these are low budget movies, so you can hide something in the shadows in black and white, or right. you can de-emphasize some, I mean, you can do that with color, but with black and white, it was... Um, It was just easier to cover up the fact that that we were filming in the summer and we had high contrast makeup for the main character and it just looked better in black and white so we did some tests in color as well but it just didn't look right so for that it was practical and i and i work with a dp who's really good with contrast so whenever i see his work in black and white it really Uh, It really moves me. So, so, and black and white has its own challenges too. But yeah, I I do love
0: it. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you come up with the, the, the hand, like the, like the, the the saw hand that you had on there? You know, remember?
1: It's, this is kind of shameful to admit in that we had a design that Uh I had worked with the makeup artist to create. It was really, and this was a very like, this is another sort of shameful admittance. This is a very <laughs> phallic film.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot
1: of like, the guy has a, he's missing a hand and in place he has a drill. He, uh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so we had this, um, we had commissioned this piece from a special effects artist, uh, this like, that would fit over the actor's hand. And it looked, it looked very, really rustic and it had a cool design. And when it came time for the artist to deliver, what he delivered was not the design that we had hoped it would be it was it was it was pretty laughable. So we we had to film the next day so we actually just, we saw a still from The Walking Dead. This is not a show that I watch.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't think I've, I've seen one episode of The Walking Dead but I saw a still image of one of the characters missing a hand and he had I think a bayonet in its place. And it looked really cool. And because we had a day to turn it around, my wife and my art director just went to Home Depot, bought a bunch of supplies, and just tried to replicate this armor, this makeshift armor using like tin and putty and paint. Um, And then the only difference between our look and the one from The Walking Dead is ours has like a 1950s Dremel. With yeah. uh, with a saw blade attached to it. So, but yeah, it was really just kind of directly ripping off uh, <laughs> an existing design. But it was it was yeah. it was one of those things where you know you panic because we're like we are waiting on the delivery of a of a of a prop, mm-hmm. and that deadline is near approaching, and we're shooting the next day. And then when that failed to work, we had to just completely scrap it and come up with something that we knew looked good yeah
0: okay so, yeah. Hey, I mean it, it, it like you said I mean it looks good in yeah, the film so
1: it works and that was you done <laughs> that was done in a night um so it was it was, it's was kind of low budget filmmaking at its best
0: <laughs> yeah I, I started posting uh like little one in three minute reviews of films or just like getting films out there that people might not know of and one of them uh is this strange Japanese film came out in two thousand five, I think. It's called Meatball Machine, and it's—I've
1: heard of it. I mean, I think I've seen the cover being the cover being kind of wild, but that's beyond what I've seen.
0: Yeah, dude, it, it's it's on Tubi. If if you want to check it out, it's it's this strange. It's all all a whole bunch of just practical effects and everything. But as soon as I saw that, it reminded me of like all like the different kind of just like wacky kind of things that they have in that movie and I was like oh man I was like that that part I mean even even if you did kind of like worry I was like, that part was just like a oh, man I love that kind of just like kind of aesthetic to um like indie filmmaking, and and you're just like trying to get all this stuff together, and such a quick amount of time with a little little amount of resources, and the things that people can do with that. Um.
1: Yeah, and it works well for horror sometimes. You know, for some reason, if there's there's a lack of sheen and a lack Go. of polish, can sometimes enhance a horror movie. So I think that's another reason working in that genre is helpful um, because you you can make films with a low budget. And sometimes, I mean, like the classic example being Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that movie wouldn't work um, if it was polished, and they've tried to polish that that movie and, and recreate it, and it just never, it just never has the fa- the same smell mm-hmm. uh, as the yeah. NFL. That
0: grittiness is just not there. Yeah.
1: yeah, there's a real desperation in the making of it, and I think it shows on screen too. So yeah, as difficult as as being. Uh, an independent filmmaker is sometimes uh, when you scrap things together really quickly uh, or cheaply, and you can kind of see the seams. There's a there's a there's a certain charm to it, I think. Uh, yeah. when you see something that's been really handmade, you can see those marks, those brush strokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something I've come to appreciate more and more. I tried for years to just try to give my films a uh, polish that you that is virtually impossible unless you you're working with a modest budget so i've I've, i just at some point just completely abandoned the notion that you could make something look really (laughs) clean and polished and just embrace the grittiness of it sometimes the choices that you're making they're so practical they just they just enhance that gritty nature of something like texas chainsaw
0: I mean with with a lot of the different practical effects I think one of the reasons that I like them so much is that you can have something like the chainsaw massacre and then you can have something like well something that's like dear to my childhood is um, like the old school like Ultraman shows I don't know if you ever got into those or anything but it's like you got the the giant giant monsters right it's really just guys in suits and like you got the the zippers and everything, you see little strings. And then like, I, re- I remember there was there's one scene in a, one of the episodes and there's this huge fire at a warehouse and he's got to put all of it, all the, the, the fire out. So it's supposed to be that somehow he's shooting water out of his hand, right? But if you look in the smoke just right, you can see that they're like, you know, running the hose down the hand and you can kind of see where right. it goes off screen. and. I remember like looking at that kind of stuff and I'm just like, man, like that, I I need more of that kind of stuff where where it's just like, you know, I can see kind of how they're, they're going about it. And I think that's having that foundation of, and and that appreciation of practical effects has kind of brought me into the type of movies that I enjoy now, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And um, Alien is another one. Um, The Star Wars films, always a great example of those kind of effects. There's another film, Feast. I don't know if you've ever seen that oh, film. Seen
1: Feast. I like it.
0: Yeah. Film, yeah. film was a, a great film. Like, like when they have the, the little kid standing there and the, and the monsters of you know the monster's coming and you're like, no, get out of there. <laughs> and everyone's just watching and pops out and everything. So so with that said, just about like the you know the love of practical effects and and you know just how it works with everything, at, at what point? Did you decide or maybe it was when you were going through school and everything but at what point did you decide that the filmmaking was something that you wanted to do
1: yeah it's um it was pretty early like i certainly as young as seven or eight was interested in special effects mm-hmm. um, so i'd say the, the moment it really clicked i had sort of a latency period in high school where i just i was interested in film very passionate went to a Catholic school, Uh, it was kind of a jock school, you know, you you weren't, being an artist was like, I don't know, I I wasn't very, I wasn't upfront about that side of my personality. So I, for about four years, I didn't really do anything in film. I just always dreamt about it and consumed a lot of films, but it was very private. It was a really, like my friends didn't even really know that this was something that I wanted to do. Uh, And I was a complete, Fuck up in high school. So I I graduated. I did about two years of community college, and then I applied to school a bunch of different schools like like Mm -hmm. NYU and Emerson and thinking like I had a had a screenplay that a feature that I had written at that point. So I figured okay, that's on the merit of that maybe I can get into these schools. I still didn't. So I got into got into one school (laughs) that offered film, Keene State College really small liberal arts college in Keene, New Hampshire. Um, And they had a film department. It was in the, it was in the basement of the English department. Um, You know, water would drip on the film equipment. It was really, really (laughs) ragtag. And you just kind of had, you kind of had to make it your own which is what my friends and I did. We just, we commandeered the place. Um, We found an abandoned room. We turned it into our editing suite. Started screening films in their auditorium weekly horror movies. So it was at that point, I was pretty serious. You know, I was in college and and studying it as a, for a Bachelor of Arts degree. Um, Mm -hmm. I was pretty, pretty focused from from that point on. Yeah, and since then just been making films and teaching and um, dreaming about movies as much as I can.
0: From your time at Keene State, and then when you finished, you went on ahead and that's, you got your MFA from Emerson?
1: Yeah. um, So you
0: teach do you still teach there and at the New York Film Academy or?
1: No so I um, so I graduated from Keene State in 2004 um, and I didn't pursue my MFA until a decade later. Oh wow. 2014. Yeah and it's it's funny now that I'm a teacher and I teach filmmaking and you know, I, I work with a lot of young students that want immediately to go from from studying during their undergrad time to the grad to to, uh, to get their MFA. I try to talk them out of it. I'm saying like, what are you doing? Like, live a little in the world and try to figure out so, like your path. Don't don't right. just you don't want to just be in school for eight years unless mm-hmm. you're a doctor. So think about think about taking some time and really trying to. Um, trying to experience the world and, and, and you have to really want it like because if you if you go back to school to get an MFA. Uh, the only reason you go is that you can teach. Uh, mm-hmm. Because You can learn filmmaking anywhere. You just it, you, this is coming from someone who teaches film. You don't need to go to college to learn it. Um, you just you just have to have uh, enough focus to um, uh, enough focus and enough creative energy to just make films. And I know a lot of filmmakers say that, but this is coming from someone who teaches film. Uh, but I do think going to school at least helps you meet other like-minded people and that can kind of uh, fuel that fire. And I think that's what's, that's what's important. Uh, but no, I, don't, I, I taught um, years ago at New York Film Academy. It's kind of like a summer job. And then I taught uh, as a part-time faculty at Emerson where I went to school for my master's. I, and, then I, and, and then I taught at Suffolk University in Boston. And now I'm at a place called Curry College, just outside of Boston, which is something I do full time. So I make, yeah, I make my living as a teacher, which is great. I get to talk about film. I get to see young people become interested. And it's, it keeps me excited mm-hmm. <laughs> about filmmaking and allows me some freedom to continue to make films. Having having summers off are really uh, has has always been the time where I can go into production. Right. Um, so it was for me, it was a very very practical adult decision to be to 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 go into teaching college.
0: So you mentioned that um, you know the production mainly mainly happens in the summer. So do you kind of do like a weekend warrior thing and write all of the scripts that you kind of want to filter through and f- figure out which ones you want to work on during the school year and then shoot what you like actually want to pursue during that time off or?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm always working. Um, you know, i lately, cause I have a one-year-old, so my life is now crazy. So my time is so limited, but I'm always working on film. I've now, I literally, I take notes on my phone whenever I can. Right. I, I figured if I'm going to be texting with people and I I tell my students, the same thing, like, if you think you can't write, we write an incredible amount every day on our phone. Just, just dedicate some of that time and some of that energy to writing your script. So this is something I've adopted recently is just because I find myself not having the time to really sit and focus in front of a computer. So the writing, the ritual of writing has now become (laughs) anytime, anywhere. Uh, you're sitting in traffic i I have a i have a google folder with three or four different film ideas and Mm -hmm. within that i have a a scrolling note that runs you know 15 20 30 pages of just stream of consciousness ideas and then from there what i do is i once i feel like i have enough of those ideas collected Mm -hmm. i'll put them in a um an Excel document and just number each scene. And I try to get, I try to make sure that I have enough scenes for a, for a full film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pushing all my energy lately towards features. I, I love making short films, but I'm, I'm kind of taking a little bit of a break from that, trying to focus my energy on a, on a, on a feature just mm-hmm. to see if I can do it, because I've never done it. And it seems like the impossible dream. But yeah, my process is taking those notes, collecting those ideas when they happen. Rarely do I have the time these days to just sit and focus writing, so I just do it on the fly. But yeah, once I get those, the once I filter through all of that, those mess of notes, I usually can make sense or find the story within it. And it's more, it's more editing for me. I, I, I'm actually. I don't see myself as a writer. I don't think I'm a particularly good writer or a focused writer, but I think I'm an okay editor. Um, So I take an editorial approach. So I write way more than I need in the note-taking process.
2: Mm -hmm. And then
1: I try to shape those ideas into some cohesive structure. And then from there, it's just, yeah, it's just editing what I have, cutting things out, putting two things together, maybe two ideas that were separate, bringing them together and seeing if they, they, they gel, so it's it's a real, uh, it's, it's not the most focused process, but for whatever reason, it works for me.
0: I mean, you make a, a really good point here. And I think that's something that a lot of people that I've talked to during the different conferences that I've gone to, it's like they get this idea that it's like, oh, because I, I do sort of kind of the same thing too, where it's like you get an idea and you're like, maybe I'll write it down in my book when I get home or you know, I'll think about it, and if I think about it later, I'll, I'll write it down. But having the access to a phone and all the things that it can do—I mean, most of these phones that people have nowadays are a thousand dollars plus. Right. And it's like if you're not going to use a phone that's a thousand dollars plus to pursue writing or or you know any kind of like digital design or anything like that, because you can always just. Import stuff onto your laptop later, or or you know if it's like a cross platform kind of thing, you transfer it over to your laptop or your, um, I don't know what other kind of crazy devices people have these days. But with the phones, you know, just being able to, like you said, like sometimes you're you're in traffic or sometimes you have like a slow day at work or something, you could just sit down and okay, I got you bust out you know, 200 words or something, you might, it could just be a complete word scrabble, you know? yeah. And then uh, you get to sit down later when you have the time and be like, okay, now we can put all the puzzle pieces together and everything. But man, just like the amount of people who don't even think about that. And then you're like, yeah, man, like I write like, cause like all, all the different like blogging that I do, all the uh, design work that I do for uh, my Instagram pages and everything. I do all of that on my phone paid $1,300 for my phone. I'm going to make that thing my workhorse. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I've been able to do some photo editing on my phone lately and it's good. It's good enough. Uh, and it, and it works. I think we're just, we, we constantly have information coming at us. And, and for me, the only way to counter that is to just use that device for collecting ideas uh, as, as much as I can. But, but I mean, for me, what I'm starting to realize about, my process is that I have, I do also also have to be relaxed to come up with some pretty good ideas. Mm. Um, so as I'm falling asleep, scenes kind of pop in my head, and they're escaping so quickly that I will just keep the phone on my nightstand, and I'll just type them out as, as fast as I can. Or um, I I start something I started doing during the pandemic was like I, I need to get away from technology, so. <laughs> I'm going to take baths it's not something I do but it's the one place I can be where I can't reach I mean I can bring the phone and I have brought the phone into the tub with me but I set everything outside um, of that of that area and I would just sit and think and try to see if anything popped into my head and the second it, it does I'm out of there and I'm writing it down somewhere because I'm, I'm just trying to disconnect as as much as i can so that i'm completely free to let those ideas wash over me um but yeah it's it's i think and maybe this is different from other writers but i, I feel like i my ideas they're, they're not they're not particularly good if i'm stressed or i'm thinking about something else so sometimes just driving i also have really decent ideas i'll shut the radio i have a long commute so, um, you know, it's an hour just in my head. Uh, so you can, you can focus and get some ideas. So the second I get to work, you know, if I have 10 minutes, it's type out some of those ideas, maybe, maybe they were, maybe they were good. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of idea collection is, is my mm-hmm. process.
0: So when you're going like, say like if you're, you're driving, or whatever, and you have that hour, do you prefer? The silence during that hour to just calm you down or do you have uh, specific music like for me I'll listen to a lot of ambient stuff when I'm driving to kind of get the juices flowing it's like well if especially if I'm doing like a, a sci-fi scene or something I'm like okay if I find stuff that fits this kind of mood maybe I can come up with things a little bit easier is that something that works for you or is it just
1: dead yeah. silence um something I started doing somewhat recently is uh, making playlists for movies, which I find really interesting. So it's just music that I think exists in that world or that the characters listen to. And I make these really long playlists Mm -hmm. um, and I'll just set those to shuffle and I'll let the music play over and over. And in these songs, I become more and more familiar and I start identifying potential scenes where that music could be used. That's really helpful. But the silence, well, it's, it's... Partly is again I have a baby, uh, so I started <laughs> started just enjoying the silence. Uh, whereas you know prior to having a, a child, I'd fall asleep behind the wheel unless I had some kind of music keeping me keeping me entertained. But yeah, so the, so that sometimes I think just that quiet airiness can can get you in your own head and get you thinking. And because you're focused on one task, just staying alive and driving. Um, <laughs> And if it's a familiar commute, something that yeah. I do every day, over time those ideas they start they start making their way into my head. But but yeah, I think you know making these playlists. I, I hate to admit this too. So so I create a playlist. Say there's like five or six songs that I feel I identify with that particular story.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All of a sudden, the Spotify algorithm will take over, and it's yeah. going to recognize okay these <laughs> and these 10 songs have something and all of a sudden this new music that I've never heard starts playing at the end of that playlist and every so often something something in that in that algorithm really um really works and I'll just I'll add it to that playlist and it just becomes this it's this snowball effect yeah uh, where it just builds and builds and I'm like oh wow so the so this is this is how I'm coming up with ideas. It's it's far less organic than uh, I guess it's no different than listening to the radio. But uh, but there's certain you know the film I'm writing right now is a very '90s. It's a very '90s movie. Uh, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to listen to '90s music that I've never listened to. The band the the not a band that I've ever listened to. But all of a that sudden, I'm myself listening to it because I feel like the character in the movie is a fan, and then adding that to the playlist, all of a sudden they start to get similar music. Uh, R.E.M., another band that I sort of mm-hmm. like, but you know never really listened to. And then all of a sudden that music starts coming in. So, um, So yeah, you identify with the characters, that playlist grows and grows and grows as I keep adding music to it. And I have movies that I will never make that have a playlist, a clear playlist for themes and characters. Um, but when I listen to it, I can see the movie in my head, which is pretty interesting.
0: So with the the music and the characters, and and I've heard of this a lot with writers, and you know, I I've, I've had it happen every now and then too. Have you ever found a track that fits something you're thinking about? But then the the reasoning or voice per se of the character is like, nah, I wouldn't listen to that.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's kind of interesting the way that they, the, the, the characters that we think about, you know, we start thinking about it the way that they would approach everything. And then it's like, they, they're creating their own voices.
1: I, that's my favorite thing about writing. Um, and it's something I try to teach my students is that, you know, the more you, the more you come to know your characters, they start making choices
2: mm-hmm.
1: their own. I know that sounds really dumb, but um, you know, if you've written them well, and I, th- I say, if you know your best friends so well, you might be able to say, well, they, wouldn't, they would like this song, but they wouldn't like this song. So, so get to know your characters so well that they start to make choices. Or that, yeah, you would say that that song is not something the main character would listen to, but this song is something they would. Mm-hmm. And it's probably, um, it's probably the thing I enjoy the most about, <laughs> about writing.
0: Yeah, I remember going to the agents and editors conference that they have down here in Austin every year. And one of the best pieces of advice that I had gotten um was that if you don't know what a character wants or you don't know particularly how to get them to do something, write them a letter and see how they respond. Yeah. And like I'm sitting there and I'm like, it was the first time I'd ever really had a concept like that where it's like you're thinking outside the box of this is what I want the character to do, you know. It's like actually, like get like you're saying, you know, get to know your character. What kind of things do they like? What do they not like? You know, because basically they're a friend of, that you're just making up in your head.
1: Yeah, I, so, I like that. I have I have my students interview their characters mm-hmm, um, yeah, because okay. I say it's it's twofold. Like you get to understand their backstory but you also kind of get a sense of how they talk.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So interview them, write it down, interview them in your head. And I give them a list of prompt, like questions they can use to, um, to interview these characters so that they, they can build a backstory. And uh, it seems to work really well.
0: So with, with that kind of knowledge and and an approach to film uh, and getting into poor glenna what what was the process for that and and was there any of that kind of back and forth banter between the characters and, and yourself when you were working on that or was that more of i this is what i want to do and, and you kind of
1: have yeah. a, a
0: pretty strong idea of how to carry it out
1: yeah so th- this film came the fastest and easiest for me because each character in the film is is someone in my family, in my extended family. I just, usually I try to build the character from scratch with a composite of different people. But in this one, pretty directly thought of members of my family and I just <laughs> wrote them as they are. Almost, almost identically. Like, I, you know, um, so, <laughs> so it's, it's touchy because you don't want to exploit people in your family but you also know them really well. So yeah, so so I my aunt and uncle, uh, my cousin just put them in a movie but it happened to be a monster movie and my hope was well, I'm taking these really these people that are quite eccentric in my mind that I mm-hmm. that I've known my entire life and just adding a, an element of horror and what would what is what is going to become of it if I do that? I've never done that before because because of that you know, I was I was I was on the fence the entire time. I wasn't sure if I was exploiting them mm-hmm. in any way. And I went so far as to use their house to film. So I, I filmed exteriors at their home, but I, I did not share the story. I didn't really, it was, it's a bit shameful for me to admit, but I just, I ha- it, it, was, it was so clear in my head, this story, that there was no turning back. So I, I just embraced it. And I embraced the advice that another writer had given me a long time ago: is that you shouldn't be fearful to put your personal life out there, uh, and people might recognize parts of themselves in your work. But that's what an artist does: is they, yeah, they 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 create from the world around them. So, so yeah. So this this I didn't need anything to create these characters. I knew them really, really well, and it made it made directing probably the easiest in terms of working with the actors. Um, it made writing the dialogue really easy because I could just hear their voices in my head. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, it, and once you go there, it's hard to, it's hard to go back. Now everything I want to do, I can actually, people that I've met or people that I know, I can kind of composite them, uh, including myself, in, into a story um, and it becomes so much more authentic. I have such an authority when I'm, when I, when I'm able to direct it because I've, I've experienced it, or I know these people so well that, um, that it's, it's just not hard to understand their wants or their needs.
0: So when you're, when you're working on, I guess, just in particular with poor Glenna, so you're, you're taking these people that you're, you know, friends and family and inserting them in this, dark world where did you get the idea of the creature yeah. okay oh,
1: and, and how
0: did you did you know that you were going to have it set up that way where it was mostly like it was like it, I felt like it was a very kind of like a Hitchcock kind of thing the way that you had the monster right because it's like you either see the shadow cast on the on the curtain or you'll see like little tidbits of it here and there
1: yeah well I mean it- Again, you know, it's it is something that I was pulling from real life, and and you know, I have a, 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 a adult cousin who still lives at home with his with his parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, lives in the basement, and to me, I was trying to make a film about characters or aging parents who enable their adult children,
2: mm-hmm.
1: in, in the in the sort of abuse of those of, of those relationships. So I was thinking initially that was the spark. You know, mm-hmm. my cousin's relationship with, with my aunt, you know, she, she waits on him hand and foot, even though he's near approaching middle age. And, and I, I had seen, you know, a documentary about heroin addiction on Cape Cod, and there was one character, this woman, who would just go out and she would buy drugs for her son, who lived at home, and her, her reasoning was, you know, he's, he's safe. At least, right. it, if he's here, I know he's safe. So mm-hmm. she's continuing to enable this behavior, and he's continuing to take advantage of it. And I just thought that, that there's there's something there. <laughs> there's yeah. something horrific in that relationship. So what if what if what if one of them is a monster? And it is a metaphor and a very hollow one at that. But it's but it but I think it works. But then getting back to your other question, just you know, so we have a monster in a basement and we only see little bits and pieces. That's mostly practical because of budgetary reasons. But I also am a fan of, of not showing the monster. You know, if, if the movie that made me interested in filmmaking is Jaws, that was a practical reason to not show the, the shark because they wanted to. They wanted more bang for their buck, but, yeah. but Spielberg had to go in with it and not show not show the shark. And I think this, you know, I always love what our imaginations can fill in
2: Yeah.
1: so much scarier. So that was, it was practical, uh, but also there is, there is a purpose for not showing it. It's, it's, it's so that we can fill in those parts with our imagination. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's why you see little bits and pieces of it. Cause yeah. if you yeah. saw the real monster, you would laugh. How how cheap and shitty it looked
0: hey i mean that's that's the i think that's one of the great things about practical effects though is like you can you're working with the lighting and the sound and pretty much everything else but the the actual physical thing that you're you're trying to to show um and and just forcing the audience to put those pieces together but the whole Premise that you're talking about, I see that one of the things that I, I see that a lot in is is zombie films, and I feel like that's almost the same, not direct uh comparison, but you'll you'll always find in these films that there's somebody who's just lost it, and they have you you know it's like, are you are you here alone? And they're like ah yeah yeah I'm, I'm you know there's nobody else here, and then you hear a sound. And, you know, then they got like their, their loved one in oh, the yeah. other room or something. And they're like, yeah, you know, I need to, I need to keep them alive, you know? So I had to, I had to let you in, you know, it's nothing against you. And you're like,
2: "Yeah."
0: oh, <laughs> and it was like, I got that like feeling of, of, of dread, you know, when, you know, the, the, the characters that you have in this film, you know, you, you have the, the mother who's like, yeah, you know, I just, I want to make sure that they're safe, you know, I'll help them out and everything. And then you got this poor guy who's like, you know, I just want to hang out with him, you know, and <laughs> brings a board game over. And you're like, Oh no, dude, like, don't, don't go down there. It's not what you think. <laughs> so you did mention, and I know that this is probably something, you know, you're still working on and everything. So no, no, not looking for any spoilers here, but are the ideas that you have for your full length, feature that you're working on now, is that something that you recently started or were there other projects that you had started working on or thinking about in the past that kind of helped you build up to starting this feature? Or
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. This, this feature just came to me really quickly, just a few weeks ago. And that's, I am very slow with ideas and I'm really deliberate and methodical. And I had been working on um, pretty steadily two two ideas that that would be hopefully become features, but they were they were big. They were too big for my bridges, um, m- meaning they just had they had practical effects and so they had they were period specific films. Uh, another film set in the '70s. So I was I was really reaching, um, and and still still am, but this new idea, I, I kind of decided, well, okay, can I tell a story without monsters? Mm-hmm. Can I do it in one location with three actors? And can I sustain that interest for an hour and a half? So so with that challenge in mind, I started thinking in, in those practical terms of, okay, well, you have the most limited resources possible. So what ideas do you have? So I was able to kind of Pull some ideas um, from previous screenplays, and I start started to sketch out a new idea for a feature that is really just a three a three person, single location story. Uh, mm-hmm. That I'm you know I, I love working with mon I love anything that has to do with a monster I love special effects I love period films, so this is kind of letting my guard down, seeing if I can do something that is devoid of any special effects and still, make, and still make it creepy. So that's kind of where my head is at. But the, yeah, this new, these new ideas, they came really fast and almost almost in the complete form. So now I actually have to do the real work of sitting <laughs> down and writing it and disciplining myself. Because that, that thing that I was talking about earlier, collecting those ideas, you can do on the fly. For me, it's a little harder to write a screenplay on a phone mm-hmm. because of the formatting. So now I have to now I have to find the time to dedicate and, and make that, at least get a first draft down. Because like I said, I'm I am not a writer, I'm an editor. So if I get the first draft down, everything there is just editing and polish, which is where I'm comfortable. But uh, if I could, if I could pay someone to write a first draft for me so that I could go in there and pick it apart and polish it, I would do it. So
0: <laughs> like you gotta you gotta invite somebody over and make make them the phone right so instead of yeah. dictating to the yeah. phone you're yeah. like these are all the things that are happening write it <laughs> and I'll go back yeah. and and
1: I'm, and I'm always interested and I do know I don't know about mm-hmm. you but like I've tried the co-writing thing before and I'd be willing to give it another shot but that that relationship is really interesting me to me um that that interplay be- between two or more people and, and how, and how does that process work? Because for me, the only time I've ever co-written anything, it was sitting in the same room with somebody mm-hmm. coming with the, coming up with the ideas and then walking away for a minute so that that person could type and then coming back and kind of like a relay race. And it, it was productive and, and interesting, but, but yeah, revisiting what that relationship could be with co-writers. I'm always curious when people are co-writers, how that actually works. I guess different for each writer, I think. Some writers might just submit their ideas and someone might submit theirs and then they decide which what ideas are the best and then mm-hmm. composite them. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've had a few guests on the show that have done different kinds of co-writing things and that's primarily what they've done is one person would write something and they would send it to the other person. They'd look at it and then they'd kind of work on on their end and kind of you get this kind of amalgamation of like all these different things that you know the the two or three different people that are working on the project have put together just as long as it doesn't turn out like the the confusing uh, film prometheus <laughs> you know there's a i think there's a lot of cool stuff in that film but uh you, yeah. you know that I, I think it was like five or five or six writers that were a
1: good them. sign when you have more than <laughs> right? you know, so there's because it just indicates there were problems yeah um, yeah
0: I don't think I could ever do co-writing though I mean I, I feel like it's something that you would have to you really have to know the other person and how they approach everything right it's like because I and and again you know I'm I'm approaching things more as a writer you know I've done like some like screenplay stuff for college courses but that's all I've done versus like actually go out and shoot them and uh, work on them you know I, I did a um, uh, I worked on a film with my friend when I think we were a few years out of high school and we filmed a movie and I was a, the um, assistant director AD on that film but I didn't have any hand in like writing any of it and then I remember we had sat down maybe like a year after that to write a film and I wanted to go full blown horror and he wanted to go full blown drama. And I think if we had sat down like now and that we have like a we have a better um idea of where everything is coming from. But back then it was just like trying to write us like I wanted to pull my hair out. I was like, no man, like we got to set this scene up. And he's just like, but we got to make it dramatic. And I'm like, this is the violent scene. This <laughs> is just like, you know, so yeah, I I think that is that's one of the the core ideas there. You know, it's like if that is something that you were gonna do, is just you know find that other that other person that you really just kind of resonate with.
1: Yeah, and it's and that's tough because like you you're you're inviting someone you're inviting each other into your own heads and your mm-hmm. own creative process, which is you know it's difficult. But I think it's it, the thing that I love the most is directing, which is highly collaborative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't ever take credit for any of the films I've done because like they're, uh, they're pe- creative teams that I'm working with who contribute as much as w- creatively as I'm contributing. Yeah. So, um, so it's, they're not made in a vacuum. So it, it would, the writing process is so lonely to me and I know real writers relish in that. It's like a meditation and I hate it. <laughs> I, I want that I love collaboration I think it's it's it gives me the motivation um, that I need so always looking always looking to find
0: new pros, processes and so so with those different kinds of processes what would you say is the most like at least for the the courses that you teach and I guess this is more of like a two-prong question is one I guess just what made you want to teach and then what is like the main takeaway thing of the filming process, you know, of writing, sitting down and directing and everything else. What is like the main uh, takeaway there that you try to relay to everyone?
1: In in terms of teaching? Yeah. I mean, I teach, I teach a lot of different subjects. Um, So I teach screenwriting, I teach editing, I teach cinematography. I think the thing that I'm probably the best at might be editing because mm-hmm. um, I edit all my own films. Uh, but the, for me, the main takeaway, I guess you encounter a lot of young people that want to be directors. Um, so I, I certainly relay to them, you know, um, trying to find personal stories that they care about because if you, even if you set out to make a five minute film, you're committing to months and months of work. So you have to be prepared to spend all of this time on this story. So, so my hope in any class that I teach is that the environment is safe enough that the students will be able to tell a personal story, mm-hmm. even if it's a little painful for them or not. Um, but there's some element of the personal. So like if I see students just trying to um, you know, do something that Christopher Nolan is doing <laughs> or trying to just... Quentin Tarantino is still as popular now uh, with young people as he was when I was 15, which is wild. It's like it's like teenagers who still like Green Day uh, <laughs> currently. You know, like like when I was a teenager, that was what people were listening to, and it's still what teenagers listen to today. Um, but I always I always just hope that um, students are able to look at their lives because they, oftentimes they'll tell me like my life is is uninteresting. I'm like I really doubt that I Mm -hmm. really doubt that your life is that uninteresting that you can't find some pearl uh, or some nugget that can inspire a story and you know for me it's taking those personal stories it's adding a genre element or or a couple of different genres and just blending it all together there's just especially if you're directing that work yourself you have such authority and such authenticity in that story and you can feel it even at the student level, mm-hmm. if the film is, is, is messy, which it should be, uh, and unfocused, sometimes literally unfocused. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> even, but if there is, a, there is a nugget of truth, I think it, it, people feel it. So I, that's, that's really important to me. In terms of directing, I think, it's, uh, I think I gave this advice to a former student who was asking me like, you know, oh, I liked the performances in your film, but how did you get them? And I was like, I, I don't do that much directing, to be honest. Directing of actors, just casting the right people. You don't even need to have them read the lines. You can just have a conversation with them because a, you're going to be spending a lot of time with these people. So can they take direction? But also, do you want to? Do you want to spend this much time with these people? <laughs> so, so cast, you know, cast that net wide. For me, it was a combination of at least with poor Glenna, I you know, I, I went to a casting agency. Mm-hmm. So I, I auditioned a lot of older actors and then just had conversations with them on the phone afterwards, the ones that were interesting to me. And then you got a sense, okay, well, wh- who who got this? Who really got this? Because I think with something like poor Glenna, you can you could go two ways. You could go tongue in cheek
2: mm-hmm.
1: and really just embrace the goofiness and silliness of it. Or you can treat it deadly serious, which just even if even if it, the special effects are low budget, uh, if the performance is authentic, it, it's going to make for a better film. So I think that that was something I was looking for. You know, with, with at least with Glenna, I was like, oh, some of these actors, they're they're playing into the tongue-in-cheek elements. But this one actor, Anne Marie Shea, she treated it like it was Citizen Kane or something. Like she took it. <laughs> So yeah. seriously. And it became to me funnier that way. Mm-hmm. because She was unaware. And that's another thing. I'm comedy is really difficult for me. But the comedy that works is when people don't know that they're in a comedy. Right. Um, um, so, you know, most of most of my favorite comedies aren't even comedies. But but yeah, she was she was truly serious about it and committed to the committed to the performance in a serious way. And, and she was funny as a byproduct of that. But yeah, from, from, from a directing standpoint, I think just casting, like the film I'm working on now relies on three people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if I can't find three excellent actors that are willing to work for scale, I'm just not going to do it because it would be embarrassing otherwise, because the whole, the whole weight of this relies on performances and, and how authentic those performances are going to be. So, so I I, I'm, I will gladly spend a year trying to cast something before I give up. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I don't find those people that can fill those roles, then it's not worth it's not worth pursuing.
0: A lot of that stuff is is very hard, I would think, right? And and this is this is a good question for you, I think, just because you're you're teaching everyone how to do these things, but with the way everything is so immediate nowadays, you know, with, with everyone having their phone and it's not the same as, you know, when people would have phones back in the day, but you didn't have like these crazy cameras on them. And you know, like you are saying, you you get a lot of people that want to be directors, but it's like, yeah, you're going to have a five minute short, 10 minute short, something like that. And it's going to be months of time. And then it's like the reality of it. When people think about that, it's like, Oh yeah, like this, you know, we got to get, it's all the, all, all the, the, the different elements that go into the film and everything. But I'm curious how you feel about how movies were made prior to phones. And now that phones are becoming more prevalent and you see a lot more people just, yeah, to shoot on your phone. Have you noticed any differences that are either detrimental to filmmaking or ones that are really good for filmmaking?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the accessibility of just having a camera that can shoot high definition or 4K on your phone is incredible. Like I, for me in high school, in the nineties, for me to get a camera to shoot on, I had to borrow a VHS camcorder from Mm -hmm. my uncle and shoot the film in sequence. Um, so, so like, I, I don't know, like I could, it might just sound like grumpy old man stuff when I, when I say like that, that took discipline and dedication and whatever. Um, I would have killed to have even a film class in high school which mm-hmm. I didn't have. Uh, but now, yeah, you, you, you have this accessibility. I think what I'm seeing, unfortunately, and this is just, this is generational, is that film is still a miracle to me. Mm. Uh, and the fact that movies can be made, there is such magic. And I think, unfortunately, and this makes me sound like a grumpy old man, is when the immediacy <laughs> of getting, should be able to shoot a scene and edit something by the end of the day and have it look pretty good. Mm. Uh, it takes all the magic away. I don't know. When I teach, that I still really truly believe in that. Um, in that magic of cinema and the illusion of cinema. I think it's so incredible that you can take two different shots, put them together, they're unrelated and all of a sudden they make sense and they work. I, I'm never, I feel as excited now as I did when I first started making movies 20 years ago. But I think, you know, you do have young people that look at this technology and they, they, they're digital native. It's always existed for them. Mm-hmm. it's never been any other way um so they're they're less in, they're less impressed but but when i it's really interesting when I, I show practical effects i usually ask the students well how how did the filmmakers do this 90 percent of the time they, they cannot figure it out they just wow. can't it's hard for them to fathom you know uh shooting something in miniature or come or sh- using uh using depth so forced perspective, so having a miniature in the shot, but also having the actor in the foreground, in both the background and the foreground being perfectly in focus, and they and then they just it just blows their minds when we start breaking it down. But then what happens is they start to look at it differently, because I feel like it's important that you look at the look at all of the images that got us to this point and say, well, 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 how was this created? It's it's you know, these practical effects are becoming more and more, um, they're being used again. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't watch shows like The Mandalorian, but there's, I should, because I hear great things, but I know people are saying that because the background is no longer a green screen, the mm-hmm. actors are performing in front of, it's, and it's not rear projection either. I think, what do they call it? Uh, I don't know the name of it, but it's, it's a psych wall that is made up of, of hundreds of different different screens and they use gaming processors oh, and it responds okay. to the camera's movement so it changes the perspective so when they when the character when the camera moves you know, the background moves with it and mm-hmm. it's responding in real time but what the actors are actually seeing they're actually seeing those desert landscapes and right. that light is lighting them so supposedly when they're in that studio they can't tell the difference they it transforms their performance because they are there Um, and and i I don't know so i think there's i think things are coming back around that slowness or that appreciation for a more practical process um i see a lot of digital natives young people that have only ever used digital photography now looking back and saying well what is it going to be like to shoot with film and they start shooting with film Mm -hmm. it slows them down but, it, but in that slower process, I feel like it, it teaches them some more discipline. And, mm-hmm. and I try to, uh, I think I'm a, I call myself like a classical filmmaker. I, I, I do love pre-digital era filmmaking more. I just do. Although I think I couldn't make my movies without digital photography. Mm-hmm. So everything that I do is shot digitally, but I make it try to make it look like film, which is a bit of a cheat. But I think, you know part of what i try to do as an educator is is get students to start thinking about letting the past inform their their work in the present so teaching them to shoot an entire scene in one take and how does that discipline you and how do you move the camera to keep the audience engaged without making a million edits so mm-hmm. um, so it's it's funny i think i think everything's cyclical i think we're coming back to older methods in filmmaking seem to be coming back around, and and people wanting to shoot on film and wanting to slow down their process because everything is so fast and so immediate that like if you you have to pop take a moment to slow it down. So I, I do think we're I think we're just always going to be in this cycle,
0: right? The new t- the new technology comes out and then people want to play with it, but then I mean I, I don't think people are ever going to. Hundred percent leave practical effects. I mean, because there's there's uh, that element of realism where it's like you can reach out and touch something, or like you're saying with like the way that they have the screens interact now, and you have all these different backgrounds that look real and are acting in real time, and being able to have that visual connection versus just like this blank screen where it's like yeah you're you're like if you're doing a scene where you're talking to a double it used to just be you had to take the one shot once you're done with that then you have to you know wardrobe change or whatever else and then you shoot all the other scenes with the other one and it's like you're there's there's no interaction there and with horror that's got to be pretty hard to do because it's like um, it's kind of like, um, well, I, I guess they did a pretty good job with it. But the Cloverfield, when they didn't even tell the actors what was going on, they're just like, hey, just be frightened and like look up and like this yeah. thing is coming after you, you know. Yeah. So with the, the way that things are going now, you know, like I've been watching a lot of films that are made 100 percent through um, Unreal Engine, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. It's just it's yeah. using a video game engine to do this. But everything in the background, you know, like if you go and you're looking at the way that these films are made, it's all people interacting with each other because they have to get the motion capture. And then all the other things that are going on, they see what's going on, but then they have to like superimpose everything and go back and do all this other kinds of crazy work and everything. But some of even the props that they use, even though they're digitized afterwards, they're still physical objects that they have to interact with.
1: That's so. That's so interesting. So they actually do need, they do need physical objects and actors, or at least performers, to then establish the motion capture. So yeah. no matter what you're having, there is an element of reality. It's not just a cartoon that you're looking at. Yeah, I like
0: mm-hmm. that. yeah. It's 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 pretty interesting. Though. Going from you know the things that they were doing with Nosferatu back in the day and you know like you were saying like they're playing with those long angles to get the right kind of uh, measurements on everything and the way that they're doing the lighting and the character placement and everything and now you're getting into oh yeah we'll just put all that on digital and you can interact with it that way and for a while it seemed like everything was going to go that way and now you get people again that are coming back and they're like it's because, because I mean, we're we're at that point where it's like if you look at the stuff that is done through CGI, you can see it, but there's that there's just something missing there. Even if it looks like the most realistic thing ever, I think, and, and I don't know if it's the the lack of depth or if there's just something in it that we know it's just not connecting. But having those actual physical props, even if it's just something like you know, like like you like you did with the one prop with the hand, even if it's like. We're going to go to the store. We're going to grab a whole bunch of stuff, put it together. There's that element of of realness to it where you can react to it and you're seeing it in real life and you reach out and touch it. And I think that is, I think, I don't think that's going to be going away anytime soon. Yes,
1: just- no, it seems like the two ends are meeting each other and, and the digital realm and the practical realm are coexisting. And half the time, I don't even think we are aware of how much digital, cinematography we see in, in film and television. I think like, if you really were to, to look at a frame and, and try, to, um, try to break it down, there'd probably be so many digital elements. I mean, there is even, it's hard for me to admit this. There's one digital element in poor Glenna that I just needed and I couldn't do any other way. Um, and it was, there's the opening of the film. There's like a, a exterior location. It's a, it's a, a butcher shop. Mm-hmm. Glenna walks by and you see on the marquee you know like um you know chicken wings whatever 99 cents and you see all this stuff we had to digitally remove some of the some of the type that mm-hmm. was on the marquee because it said like follow us on Facebook and things like that and I you know I my inclination is to do everything practically because i I just don't know how to do it digitally that's the other thing there's a laziness to me that because I just missed the cutoff i'm 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 old enough that I didn't have a computer till I was about 15 or 16. So that's mm-hmm. old enough to, to kind of still think in terms of practical filmmaking and yeah. practical everything. But I didn't, you know, I co- I contacted the business. I asked if they could change the marquee or take things down. And they were like, no, we can't, we can't. So I was like, all right, I guess I have to, I guess I have to remove. And that's like the... That's something amazing that you can do yeah. that, especially with a period film, to remove elements. And, I, and I'm not a, I am not above that. There is no shame in that at all when it comes to just what I think digital cinematography can do. Um, yeah. So just simply just, and how easy it was to just take out letters and add letters and you never know it uh, in a million years. And I think we see this pretty much every day in the films that yeah. we watch. So. I mean, even like
0: the a lot of the, when they're swapping the faces out now. Oh yeah. And it's just like, sometimes it's like, you're looking at that and it's like, I, I have no idea that that, that's not actually who played that character yeah. or that, like, it's not who that really is, you yeah. know? So in, in that regard, I mean, things can get pretty frightening <laughs> so getting into like the 1984 territory. Yeah. Which, so. Certainly.
1: Yeah. We're going to have, I mean, isn't there, didn't aren't they bringing back some dead actors into some movies like James Dean is going to be in a war movie at some point that's yeah that's...
0: <laughs> I guess it's just like yeah. taking the, the the face from all the different films that they've been in and like I don't know if it's an algorithm or or what that figures out the different facial mechanics and everything and I've yeah. seen that in a few movies and it's just like they, wait that like how are they in this film <laughs> and then just like, oh yeah digital stuff you know
1: Peter Cushing in, in Rogue One um
0: yeah that that was that was weird I was like I, I was because it's like I I grew up watching it and then you know he died and it's just okay yeah and then he's in a film and you're like wait
1: <laughs> I mean, it still what? doesn't look right we're still in that uncanny valley where it's just mm-hmm. something's wrong and you know it and you see it and you're just okay this yeah. is or or Dr. Loomis being in the the new Halloween films. And you're just like, Mm -hmm. I know something is happening here. And it just doesn't, it just just doesn't feel right.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's always some kind of oddity to technology, especially, I mean, we had that, you know, in the, I guess, mid to late eighties where everybody was starting to do more kind of green screen kind of things. And you could just be like, yeah, like that is not, obviously that creature is, it's like, it doesn't even like anatomically, it just doesn't even make sense the way it moves. And so yeah,
1: that's another thing about, you know, I, films that I watch, if, if there's, you can do so much both mm-hmm. with, the, with the camera, with, with, with effects, but to have limitations can sometimes lead to some more creative solutions. So I think that's, that's why the film I'm still just, The films I love will always be the the practical monsters that I grew up watching, because I think um, working within those limitations, or it's always gonna force you to to come up with some creative solution. And that's part of the reason I love filmmaking personally. It's like, Mm -hmm. I love problem solving. I love figuring out something. Okay, well this can't, you're telling me it can't work. How can we make it work? And putting our heads together and finding a solution. Um, is the most exciting thing for me. So mm-hmm. I think that's the reason I keep coming back to filmmaking and the reason I wanna make horror movies is because you have to create this illusion and um, we're doing it with little resources. So let's, let's problem solve. Uh, and that, that was basically all of poor Gwen. I was like, okay, well, we can't show this thing. We can't do this. Mm-hmm. It takes place in the seventies. How do we make this thing work? So it's like everything you do. So for instance, uh, this is the last nugget. I will talk about that film, but the opening of the movie is just uh, a bunch of food mm-hmm. on a conveyor belt going by in slow motion. I find that in grocery stores, you can usually tell a lot about someone's life by the food yeah. that they eat. So mm-hmm. I thought that was a nice expositional element in some ways, so why is she buying, buying all this weird meat? It's odd. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I went to a bunch of supermarkets. Um, yeah can I shoot my film in your supermarket? And they're like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> so for, for a day, I, I really scra- I scratched my head for a solution. And then I was like, you know, the one thing people are always giving away for free, mm-hmm. are, um, treadmills. Uh-huh. Is just, treadmills are just a rubber, just a, a piece of a rubber flap that's going by, it's motorized, perfect. So we bought some aluminum, we glued it to the sides to make it look a little more distressed. We, we bought mm-hmm. uh, those like, thank you for shopping, like um, food dividers yeah. on, on eBay from vintage ones, stuck those on the little metal strip. Voila, you have yourself a grocery store conveyor, but here's the one problem. Those, those things go really slow. Mm-hmm. Trends even at their lowest mode are incredibly fast. Yeah. So here we are with the camera pointing directly down onto a treadmill and we're just putting down food and it's flying. <laughs> and there's someone on the other end receiving it, yeah. and passing it back over so that we can look like we're getting multiples of different things. And it was, I mean, if you watched this, you would think, I mean, it was pure comedy just mm-hmm. to see everyone bumbling around. And we had to shoot in slow motion so that it looked um, like it was, meat regular speed but but in reality the meat was flying off (laughs) Um, yeah we had one person passing it I was telling okay now now send the cigarettes and then someone else grabbing it on the other end so it didn't get damaged when it fell off Uh Uh, but yeah so like things like that I think are really fun um continued to make make me interested to make movies because Mm -hmm. you have to find those those creative solutions and if we had all the money in the world. We could just go to a supermarket and do it and that's all well and good or have something built, but, but just finding a treadmill, it was a free solution.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I never would have, if you, if you hadn't have disclosed that I would, I would have never known it. Yeah. it, it yeah. It's perfectly shot. But then again, that, that, that hails back to what you were saying about the short amount of time that you're seeing something on screen. And it doesn't matter if it's film or animation, even even digital, you know, if you're really taking your time with digital, there's way more to those few seconds, you know, than people think, stop to think about, you know. And, and so that's one of those things where I, when I talk to other people that haven't really thought about film or haven't thought about writing, you know, where they're just like, oh, we'll just go make a film or... Oh yeah, you know, like if, if you want like a side hustle or something, like go and go and write a book, you know, and put it out in like two weeks or something. It's yeah. work that way. I mean, like I guess if you had all the money and all the time in the world and like the best cast you could get, maybe still like a couple months or something. But I mean it's not like shoot this shot, you're done. Let's move on to the next one, you know. So there's always these hoops and 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 leaps and all these other things that you have to go through. And I think it's fascinating just talking to the different types of people that are working on films and all the different kinds of creative processes that they have to come up with. And I think that that's a big chunk of why I, I like the things that I do is because when you stop to look at what people were doing and how they're doing it and thinking about like, well, like why did they choose to do it that way or is there something they're showing me that i'm missing and it's like it gets those kind of juices those creative juices and going and i feel like a lot of people don't do that enough they're just like oh we want to see the movie put it out now and it's like you you can't <laughs> like they got to take their time like just let them do their thing you know yeah,
1: there's so, no there's no shortcuts unfortunately
0: yeah so um as we're drawn to a close here there's um I'll just just ask you that this one last question and because you've already given quite a a breadth of um, advice and information, but if there's anything that you could tell somebody um, that is interested in any of the the fields that you've worked in with film, uh, any one piece of like major advice that you would want to give them, what would that be?
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, I'd have to say... Don't pursue it if you're interested in money or power. It's not worth it for those two things. You have to do it out of passion. And you may never make any money off this, um, but the the, the, re, the reason, what really try to understand your, your reasoning for wanting to do this. Do you, do you love the process? Would you do it if you couldn't make a living doing it? Would you still do it? Because I do think you know if you look at it as a as a career path it's not very realistic at times you're mm-hmm. you're trying to do something impossible and a lot of the times what i tell young people is like not to not to get discouraged try to you know but but, but don't approach it from that from that angle of of my money and power although you know money and power are the reasons a lot of art exists
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: but but filmmaking It's definitely a privileged art, I think, because it's so expensive and you need so much time to practice it and really hone your craft. Um, So, you know, I was lucky in that being a teacher, I have time and accessibility to equipment. Um, and knowing other professionals in the field that also make a living teaching, like everyone working on my movies uh, is some kind of a teacher. Uh, and we're doing this in the summer. We're doing this when we have time off. But yeah, the, the, the advice I would, I would give is don't pursue it if, if your only goal is, is money and power. Because at some point, you're going to realize if you're not, it's going to take some time for you to get there. Um, and you're going to be wasting your time because you're going to be discouraged. Um, so, would you still do this if you didn't get paid to do it? Uh, and if the answer is no, then find something else. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love, I love the brutal honesty there.
1: Yeah, yeah, hey. yeah.
0: But I mean, it's true. I don't think you can do anything without a passion. And it's it. I, I and I, I I guess with the passion part for me I would just want to clarify uh it can't be a fleeting passion right you know how some people will just be like oh man film is really cool I want to go ahead and do this and they they get like halfway through something and then they're like oh I guess you know I didn't really expect that there was this much work you know it's like the passion has to be recognized as part of like the work is part of that, you know. Right, right. Um, So that creative process with that passion, it has to it has to go the whole way through, right? So, and I think that's. Would you say that that's probably one of the the bigger concepts that you're hoping that people yeah. step away from between when they finish their their undergraduate versus their MFA? When you're just like, no, like take
1: take some, some time. time. I think, and I think you, I think you, <clears throat> stated it. Perfectly. I think if you're not in love with the process, then don't do it. If you find the process, if you're impatient with the process of filmmaking or w- with writing, if you don't enjoy it um, and you only see the, 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 um, the end of that process, like the outcome, if you're only interested in the outcome, you walk away because, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's, I love the end result, obviously. But when you're in the middle of it, there's no better place to be than sort of in that creative problem-solving mode. I think that's the that's the thing that I love, uh, and that's why I, I can't ever let it go uh, because it's 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 a slight addiction to that problem solving. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think yeah, just um, don't don't see don't see the end product. Try to try to recognize um, your love for the process and be patient with the process.
0: So since we're at the end of the episode, this is something that I I always like to have people do. Um, but where can we find you, Jean-Paul? And, and do you have anything to plug?
1: Um, (laughs) I don't have anything currently to plug. I mean, my, my latest film, Poor Glenna is on Alters YouTube page. So that's probably the best place to see it. Um, Pretty soon, it'll be on overduefilms.org, along with all my other films, but in terms of... Oh, okay. Well, I am working on a music video uh, for the band Jack, spelled J-A-T-K, so a local um, Massachusetts-based band. Um, I've done music videos for singer-songwriter before. This is his newest um, iteration, is a band called Jack, and what we did... And I'm I'm almost done editing it. We filmed a music video, but we did it as an old variety show from the 1970s. So we resurrected these old cameras and and, and put them together, kind of retrofit them together, um, and brought them back to life. These 70s tube cameras. So um, film, you know, like you would see any talk show in the 70s. The the reason it's a tube camera is if the camera moves and you see a light, it leaves like a comet trail. Mm. So it's a real specific artifact that you just cannot recreate any other way. So we filmed on these old, old cameras. And then we, we were using a bunch of different TV shows of that era
2: mm-hmm.
1: to, to cut in, you know, footage of the audience and things like that. And, and using re- old commercials as well. So we built this whole variety show and cast a host to host the show just for this one song to play. So it's pretty fun. And that'll probably be on my website as well, but I'm sure it'll be on Instagram. I'm overdue underscore films on Instagram. So I'll post that as well.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, jean Paul. Yeah.
1: Generic. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the generic podcast where we talk about everything horror, science fiction, and sometimes fantasy. Don't forget to like this episode, share it, rate it, do all those fun things. And like I said in the beginning of the episode, if you want to reach out, you can hit me up on either Generic, the Generic Podcast, both on Instagram, or you can find me on TikTok where I talk about a whole bunch of different horror movies, both domestic and foreign. You can also find me and my good friend Tyler Geist, host of the Tyler Geist Basement, over at Hot Genre Topics. Hot Genre Topics is a live cast that we do on YouTube every other week where we talk about some of the different horror films or horror-adjacent films that we've seen. We also have a theme for each of the episodes that we do. So if horror is your bag, go ahead and check out that live cast. And until the next time... Y'all keep being the amazing people y'all are.